This is the Off the Charts Business Podcast for multi-passionate entrepreneurs. Here, you'll learn how to design a scalable business so you can spend more time outside, away from the screen, through actionable ideas, real-world examples, and pep talks from your host, that's me, Natalie Lucier, founder of Access Ally. I rebel against that whole idea and I work with people who have new ways of doing things because that's what change requires. Welcome to another episode of Off the Charts Business. So today I am super honored, excited to have the amazing Natalia Senyal with us today. And if you're not familiar with her, she is an anti-oppressive copywriter and brand messaging strategist. In the last 10 years, she's worked with billion-dollar businesses, New York Times bestselling authors, and award-winning marketing agencies. And now she teaches changemaker personal brands to use marketing as a force for good so they can create demand without causing harm to humanity and to themselves. So thank you, Natalia, for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You have worked with such a range of clients and types of businesses. So I'd love to hear from you why you decided to focus on Changemaker personal brands and kind of how you got to where you are today. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So I started out in agency side and kind of went back and forth from agency to corporate. I always loved marketing and I thought that I had kind of like a love-hate relationship. So I love the strategy, I love the creativity, I love the psychology, but I didn't like the manipulation. And I was missing the humanity piece when it came to working with big brands, which is why I chose personal brands because I get that one-on-one interaction. I get to bring out the humanity in their brand, which is really fun for me. I don't know if you've done or heard of Gallup Strengths. It's a test that like lists your strengths and individualization is right at the top for me, which is very true. So working with personal brands allows me to do that, which I think is also my quote unquote zone of genius. So, (laughs) So that's why I transitioned to personal brands. As far as the change maker personal brands, I wanted to use marketing and business as a way to create change. And I think change makers have unique challenges when it comes to marketing because they are creating something new. And so much of marketing is based on, you know, existing demands, even with like when you're trying to validate a business idea to see if it is a good enough idea to pursue, we are encouraged to see if there are competitors that are already doing what you're doing. And if not, you know, it's not a great sign, which I rebel against that whole idea. And I work with people who have, you know, new ways of doing things because that's what change requires. So that's how I kind of got started with this. And, you know, change makers, that's typically like a lot of DEI consultants and coaches and therapists and service providers who want to do things differently and often anti-oppressively. Yeah, I love that. It almost feels like helping the grassroots efforts, right? To yeah. like change, you know, from totally kind of the yeah. seeds all the way up essentially, right? Yeah. So I love that you're having that ripple effect. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's really rewarding. And I think marketing really helps with helping them start their movements or grow their movements. One of the things that I think all of us kind of struggle with when it comes to marketing is we resist it. And you talked about uh, sometimes we have a certain association with marketing and 
how it's done. And I, myself, I think both of us are sort of jaded a little bit around marketing. So how do we do marketing in a way that feels good? And that basically, like you said, grows a movement or makes change in the world because it's required to kind of grow the thing, right? And get the word out without selling our soul. I think that the reason why it didn't feel great to do marketing as a career is because there is that manipulation aspect to it in the traditional way of marketing, which never felt right. And as consumers, even like you and I are marketers, but as consumers, we are marketed to, and we don't like how it feels. I think that that is changing now slowly, which is really great, but there are things that we can do as business owners to make it feel so much more aligned with our values. Things like, you know, the stuff that we don't like is we get triggered. So there are frameworks that are designed to have your audience feel horrible about themselves so that they purchase things faster or they don't think too much about it before they press the buy button. And how I suggest we counteract that is instead of that, we lead with empathy. So we're not agitating, you know, the PAS framework of copywriting. I'm not a fan of that. So instead of A stands for agitate, So you start out with the problem, then you agitate, and then you present the solution because if you do it in that order, they are much more likely to buy the solution. That is what we are taught. I don't love that approach. So instead of agitate, I replace that with empathy. I think it is still important to acknowledge the problem, but then to, from there, lead with empathy so that they know that you can relate and you understand how they're feeling and then present the solution from that angle, which is a very different impact that you have on your audience, right? So that's one. There's a lot of high pressure sales tactics in marketing, and I advocate for agency. So giving your audience the ability to make a proper decision for themselves, and they don't know the information that they need to do that. As business owners, it's our responsibility to let them know whatever they need to have in place to make this the right decision for them and not just see it as like, you know, that's, that's kind of none of our business because I do think it is. So I'll give you an example of how I do that with my offers. One of the things I offer is writing sales pages. And before, like on a discovery call, I typically ask them what their marketing plan is for the sales page. And The reason is because no matter how good your sales page copy is, if there are no eyes coming to the sales page, then it's not in your best interest to pay me to write your copy. And so I just want to make sure that they understand that. Once they understand that, like, okay, I need to make sure I have like a proper customer journey that I've thought about and a plan that makes me feel a lot better. Obviously, it's completely up to them. I just... My responsibility is letting them know that they need to have a marketing plan in place. So that's an example of giving them the agency. Another thing I like to advocate for is as much information as makes sense for them. So I know that I you practice this. You practice all of this in your marketing, which is why I love what you do. But giving people the heads up. And giving them the opportunity to, like, if you're if you're giving them a webinar and it is a sales webinar, 
you need to tell them that. There's a lot of webinars out there that are positioned as like, oh, a really juicy hour of value, but it's actually an hour of a sales call with no value unless you buy the thing that they're selling at the end of the webinar, which is not a great experience for them. So those kinds of tactics, just being upfront and transparent. Another way is, this is one that I hear a lot. We don't like marketing ourselves because we feel like we need to sound a certain way and we need to act a certain way. And it's the way that everybody is doing it. And there's typically a lot of like jargon included in the language. It's basically the way that brands market to us. We think we need to adopt that way of speaking and writing in our marketing. And I say we do the absolute opposite and just write like we speak and write like we're texting our friends. I like to run a lot of my copy through my daughter. She is 12. And if she doesn't understand what I am writing in my sales page, that like I rewrite it because I want it to be accessible. I don't want PhD level English, not that I have PhD level English, but <laughs> I don't want any jargon or big words that can lose people for the sake of accessibility. Like I want everyone to understand what I'm saying. Obviously, it's, it's also a smart business decision to do that. But really, if we think of marketing as us being ourselves, which can still be scary, like in a public space on social it just, it does feel a lot better than thinking we have to code switch and speak a certain way to, for people to, you know, buy what we're selling. I love that. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how much we recreate corporate and big company cultures, even as solo and small business owners. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's, it's awesome how you can kind of get people to flip that and be like, no, actually you don't have to do it that way. Yeah. And one of the ways that you do an amazing job at this is both on your LinkedIn and your private newsletter and private podcast where mm -hmm. you have poetry and rap <laughs> and just amazing <laughs> ways of communicating. So can you tell us kind of how that came about and yeah, like what inspires yeah. those? Thank you. I, I always get a little bit embarrassed when someone brings that up because yeah, that's me being like really vulnerable. It would be a lie to say that I'm super comfortable with like rapping on LinkedIn <laughs> or dancing or all the other antics that I get up to. I do that so that I don't default to corporate speak and corporate type content and trying to be quote unquote a professional. LinkedIn is obviously a very professional platform, but I want to challenge myself to be who I am no matter who's in the room. So that's my way of doing that. And I try to do that also to show my clients that it's safe for them to do it. And again, that is like a very privileged point of view because depending on what your identity is, it doesn't feel safe. And there is are plenty of people who will attack you on social. And I think it really helps to have community in that case. Just having people who understand how scary it is, especially if you're a marginalized identity, really helps when you're putting yourself out there. But all of that, like the wrapping is not, it's more strategic than anything to give myself the freedom to be who I am in my business. I love that. And yeah, my next question was going to be about how do we overcome like our own internal stuff around visibility. And it sounds like maybe community is one aspect of that. Mm -hmm. What else can you recommend for people who are like, I want to market myself and 
I just, I don't want to be too visible or like you said, like maybe there's some vulnerability if they're truly being themselves, right? How do you get over that? Yeah, I think so community really helps. Other than that, I would be discerning about what I share on social. So my rule for myself, and I shared this with people who I'm working with, is I don't share stories that still feel raw, where I haven't had a chance to process, you know, whatever the story is. I don't put that out there until I've gotten to a place where I'm okay with putting it out there and understanding that there may be crickets, which still is very painful. When you share yourself and you get no response, it really hurts. And you need to be mentally prepared for the crickets. Actually, I have, so in my community, I have for my marketing clients, we've got a post every week where it's not about like engagement. What are those engagement pods? It's not about that, but it's about like sharing with each other a scary thing we did on social that week so that we could just, you know, just share that, like get that off our chest and encourage each other to keep going. So that's where the community helps. But I think it does help to be discerning in the types of stories that we're sharing and checking in with ourselves. If we are okay with, you know, worst case scenario, which for some people it's crickets, honestly, like that's the fear that I hear most often. But in some cases there is like very hateful backlash that can even occur. So yeah, be discerning, have your community and also curate your platform. So with all the social platforms, algorithms, they pick up on what you are looking at and then they kind of feed you based on your interests. So knowing that it is completely possible to attract the people that are aligned with your values and interests. Just make sure that you're not attracting those who would be offensive or not encouraging with the content that you're sharing. And I've been very careful of that with LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the only platform that I'm on. And when I started, I note, I shared my stuff, saw who came, and then I realized like, okay, these are people who are actively anti-oppressive in their business. They're typically, you know, like DI consultants, coaches. So what I shared earlier, and I will only add people who, who kind of reflect that in their content. And you can, you can get a good sense of that just from the types of stuff that people share on social. So not saying yes to every connection request, not responding to every DM, and just being as discerning about who you let into your online sphere as you are in real life. Yes, absolutely. And I think it is very platform specific. So I love that how LinkedIn, we can actually control a little bit more of who we yeah. accept. Mm. I know for YouTube, sometimes your video gets sort of thrown into the algorithm and then you don't know who's watching. It might be a little scarier, but at the same time, you know, here. you can always like delete block or you know mm -hmm. do all those things if there's comments that aren't yeah. uh, in alignment and stuff. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I always like to ask, what does an off the charts business look like to you, especially because we get to decide what's on the chart, like what are the axes and like, what do we want to put on our chart? So for you, what does that look like? So two things come to mind and these are like, I'm constantly measuring integrity and play. And for me, that means like across the board, like from operations to marketing to my offers. And the funny thing is because of our conditioning, like I find that I am still, as much as I'm intentional about this, 
if I am not going back to like edit, so I, I go ahead and create the offer, for example, and I usually default to things that are not in line with integrity and play because that is the standard. You know, we're not used to prioritizing those things and making those our KPIs. So yeah, I'm constantly looking at like, are my offers in line with my values, which are integrity and play? Is my content in line with my values? Even like my bookkeeping system, all of that. So yeah, I'd say that where am I defaulting and how can I bring more integrity and play into my business? Now we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Did you know Access Ally is the most flexible way to sell and elegantly deliver digital offerings as your business grows all in one place on WordPress. You can create online courses, memberships, directories, and communities, and even sell team access all on your terms. Go to accessally.com to get a demo and see why it's the business scaling solution you've been looking for. I love that. Do you have any examples of, you know, adding more play or like finding things that don't feel in integrity and kind of how you fix those or? Yeah. 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 Play is, so for example, the rapping and the poetry and the, the dancing on LinkedIn and in my newsletters, that is an example of that, like how I bring that into play. Even my sales page. So writing my own sales page as it always is for ourselves. People think that marketers can just like whip things up, but it's so hard to do your own thing. So I was writing my sales page and it was taking a lot longer than I wanted it to take. And it was definitely like an uphill climb until I just randomly thought to myself how funny it would be to make a section of like meet your instructor. So this is for a program that I have. And in that section, meet your instructors, it's actually just four or five different photos of me. <laughs> And my different personas and what those different personas bring to the program. And I thought it was hilarious. And I thought it was like a funny inside joke. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put that on my sales page because I like pay attention to how I'm feeling. And I think that that's what makes us magnetic. And so I went and put that on my sales page. And from that point on, writing the rest of the sales page was so much easier. It was a joy to share because I was just like, laughing to myself about how funny it would be when someone who doesn't know me goes on there to the meet instructors, meet your instructors section and sees just like five pictures of the same person. <laughs> so that was me bringing play into the process of like writing my sales page and sharing it, which it, I think is so important when it comes to like selling things on social or like in your marketing. It's so much easier when you're having fun you know, like if you're able to tap into that, it's really great. Another way to make it easier is to provide standalone value. So thinking of your posts as like not ads necessarily, but having each post have a giveaway for the person who's reading, regardless of whether they're buying or not. So that would probably fall into the integrity piece for me. And I don't think there's anything wrong with like straight up selling and saying like, I have a program It like doors close in an hour. I think those are important posts as well. But having the majority of your marketing feel playful and provide value is like, it's freeing. And marketing just feels totally different when you take that approach. I'm trying to think of an integrity 
example where maybe the default for me wasn't to be in integrity. I think that when it comes to my newsletter, so the newsletter is fairly new. It's been, I think, about eight weeks now. And I knew that, you know, everyone talks about newsletters are so important because we don't have control over the algorithm on social. But I wasn't ready to add on another like content piece to my marketing, like resource wise, I wasn't ready to do that. And there was this guilt in inside me because A, I'm a marketer and it's just, you know, <laughs> that expectation to have all these ducks in a row was just not the case. And it was a matter of me staying in integrity with myself because I didn't want to just do the thing just for the sake of doing it, just because I should. And that's what everybody kind of tells you to do. So I started a mailing list where I was collecting addresses and names for, I think, a year before I actually launched it. I was waiting for that moment where I felt like I was excited to do this. And this was not just something I had to do out of like a scarcity thing where, oh, I'm going to run out of like social is going to be tapped out and LinkedIn might close down and then I'm going to be left with nothing. I didn't want to approach it from that. And that was me being in integrity with myself, which is as important as, you know, being in integrity with your values when it impacts other people as well. So, yeah. That's a great example. Yeah. And I think, like you said, as a marketer, email lists are important. You get that. And also you need to be excited about the project and it can't be just mm -hmm. something that you phone in. Right. Yeah. And I think that obviously I've, I'm on your newsletter, your energy comes through and that's where it magnetizes people. Yay. Um, so yeah, I feel like you've really found your niche and your way of communicating that really connects and resonates with people. And yeah. do you feel like that's something that people need to practice towards, or is that something that they can follow prompts? Or I feel like there's a lot of stuff definitely on social media where like, here are the hooks you should follow yeah. or like imitate. And yeah. yeah, how do people kind of get to their own version of that? Oh my gosh. I had a clear cut answer and lately I've been reevaluating. But before I used to think that I was anti-hooks like the plug and play templates. I was anti those templates, the hook templates, because it, it erases our voice, right? Like we can't find our voice when we're using words that are not our own. So I led with prompts, but I do think that prompts are slightly more advanced because we're not used to, and there's, you know, so many blocks. We've also got our own self-doubt. It's just a bigger hurdle. And I think I'm coming to the conclusion nowadays that the templates will help you just show up while you continue to do the background work of finding your voice, knowing that these templates are a temporary solution. And the goal is to just be able to sound like yourself in your writing. And there is a process that you can go through for that. And honestly, it's nothing fancy. It's looking at your text messages to your best friend and seeing, you know, what are the types of emojis that you default to or the words that you maybe make up and are just, you're known for those words. The way that you speak and write, everyone has their own style and it is recognizable and it doesn't have to be anything, you know, super out there. I think people think that, oh, I don't have a style of writing, but I would find that hard to believe. I think if we go through, and I say best friend text messages because, 
you know, in any sort of writing, like we don't show up as ourselves in email. We usually default to sounding professional. And I can't think of any other pieces of writing where we are really relaxed and, and writing like we speak other than like text messages to our friends and family who know us really well, where we feel safe enough to talk like that. So it's just going through that first and then paying attention to writing the thing first and then editing, going back because we're going to default to that professional standard, going back and erasing and rewriting to make it sound more like yourself. Even like saying it out loud really, really helps. Like reading your post out loud will quickly like show you where it sounds really stiff and not like you. <laughs> so little things like that really make a big difference. It's not a fancy process. Like I was saying, like finding your brand voice is really just understanding that we've been taught to speak in a way that is not natural on social, like taught to write in a way that isn't natural. And that started in like English class in high school or maybe even elementary where we have proper grammar and structure and, you know, sentence fragments are no and all of that. Like that's not there in those text messages. So review that. <laughs> I love that. It's really important to back through with that filter, right? And, yeah. and find the places where we get stiff, essentially, <laughs> in our writing. So one thing that you, while you were talking, I was thinking about is you are so focused on the humanity, right? And mm -hmm. kind of remembering the human on the other side of the screen, whether they're the ones receiving the marketing or connecting with a post or a message or a sales page. How do you keep that central and how do you do it in a non-harmful way? Because I know it's all about, that's kind of the, the big thing that you're, you're after. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about your work. So how do you remind yourself of that? There are a couple different areas that I look out for. One is language. I've spoken a bit about frameworks already. So we'll talk a bit about language. In language sayings, like we've got old sayings that we kind of throw out there without even thinking and we have no idea what the origin of those sayings are and a lot of them are very dark and racist and completely offensive if i really want to use an old saying i will look up the etymology of it first so that is one way that i make sure like everybody can do that another thing that we need to watch out for is appropriation. So a lot of brands these days, you know, they want to appeal to the younger generation. So they include a lot of slang in their, in their brand voice. But a lot of these slangs and phrases that are coined are from cultures that are not predominantly like white, privileged, heterosexual. So when we use them in our social, that's cultural appropriation. So we need to be careful of that as well. And then just being inclusive. Like there's so many ways that we can be more inclusive in our language from like pronouns to who are we excluding in our posts? You can be specific in your customer segment, but just making sure that we are not unintentionally excluding a group that we could serve, right? So those are the kinds of things that I look for in language for myself, my own copy and content, as well as when I'm helping others figure out how to make sure that their marketing isn't causing harm. Yeah. And I think this is such an important topic because I think 
some things are kind of more obvious that they cause harm, right? Like okay. if you have like a super aggressive countdown timer, which is mm, fake mm -hmm. scarcity and, you know, mm -hmm. it resets the next time you go to the website. It's yes. super obvious, but some of these things like the language, um, maybe we don't know where that word came from and yeah. we've seen somebody else use it on their stuff. And so the more we can go through with another lens and yeah. catch these things, the better we can be. Yeah. And obviously if we make a mistake, like yes. we can fix it, right? You know, we can come mm -hmm. up and improve the things that we've created and update the language that we use. So I like that you brought that in too. Oh, I'm really glad that you said that last part because I think a lot of people freeze when I start talking about language because they're scared of saying the wrong thing. And a lot of them just like, they don't let themselves post or go on podcasts because this topic has come to the front of people's minds these days and people are scared of making mistakes. And I like to remind them, this is actually one of the strategic things that I do is I share when I mess up really often, as much as it comes up on social, because I don't want that pressure of trying to be perfect. I get things wrong all the time. I like to tell people like, it's been 39 years of conditioning. It's not going to happen overnight. Language is ingrained in us. It's something that automatically comes out. So there are many times when I mess up and knowing that, just accepting that you're going to get it wrong, but you can also make it right and you can own up to your mistake and do better next time and take accountability for that, which is the best that you can do. Like brands are now getting more comfortable with apologizing after they say the wrong thing. And that's a whole beast in itself. Like crisis, PR management. That's not my domain. That's also why it's a lot easier to be a personal brand who messes up because people are more forgiving of humans than corporations. But yeah, just allowing yourself to get it wrong and even like welcoming people to point it out. And I get that a lot. I get a lot of people in my DMs asking me if I've considered this or considered that. And we have productive conversations. I don't always agree, but I think that it's okay to just not get it right all the time as long as you're willing to Absolutely. Make and I, yeah and i really feel like we're all learning more i feel like because it's like the world is becoming smaller in a way right like with globalization and the internet mm -hmm. you know we're learning more about all of these things and like we're learning more also about history so i feel like there's just so much more nuance that we can bring to the conversation and we're not expected to be born knowing all of these things, right? So it's yeah. a learning process for everyone. And I like what you shared too about having conversations with people and being open to that dialogue and building relationships and learning from each other. Because I think that, again, comes back to that humanity piece. I think that everyone who's listening and everyone who cares about these topics and cares about their customers or potential customers, it's the relationships that matter the most, right? And yes, yeah. you know, we all want a nice livelihood and a good business and all of that. But I think it's more about, like you said, the change that we want to make and we can't expect ourselves to be perfect on that road. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'll share a story about like probably the hardest moment I had with this where I was working with somebody wonderful. And at the end of it, I asked for feedback. There's a feedback form and they filled out the feedback form. And in that form, they let me know that there was a part of the process that was hard for them emotionally. And they were not, they didn't see it coming. So it was, 
yeah, just, you know, caught them off guard. And when I read that feedback, there was a lot of shame that came up for me because I felt like as someone who advocates for the opposite of this, like I clearly made them feel not great about themselves and that was not my intention. And then I felt like a fraud and all of those stories come up in your head. And I asked her for a phone call and we ended up talking for a really long time. She just really appreciated the dialogue. And now we're great friends and I'm so happy it turned out that way. And it was a really great reminder for me that I don't have to put that pressure on myself. Whatever happens, because I know that my intentions are always good and I will always do what it takes to fix the wrongs that I've done, it's going to be fine. In the moment, it doesn't feel that way. <laughs> but it's in your control to to do right. I can relate to that. I have similar stories on kind of the customer support, tech support side where, mm -hmm. you know, people using Access Ally or maybe something happens and they get super frustrated. And once we jump yeah. on a call, we can always figure out the tech issue, but also just like the human side, right? Mm -hmm. I think we all want to feel heard and understood and yeah, just sometimes process some of the emotional stuff that happens. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to briefly touch on your opinion around artificial intelligence, because I think that mm. especially as we are posting more on social, as a copywriter, as someone who does marketing, people are worried about AI taking over or just, I don't know, AI talking to each other and having no humans in the room. Oh man. Yeah. So this topic is everywhere. <laughs> and usually when these topics blow up, I try to take some space from it when all the hype is happening before I develop my opinion. But this is where I stand at the moment. There's bias <clears throat> built into AI machines, and that's a problem. Also, the whole, you know, like ChatGPT, for example, there's no... What's it called? Like if you ask it a question and it answers your question, it will not attribute the knowledge to whoever's ideas. That's another issue for IP purposes. Ethics wise, it's not great to have your ideas taken and not given any credit for that. But what I don't see it as a threat at all. What I think is going to happen is, again, everybody's going to start sounding the same. <laughs> so this is a huge opportunity for you to stand out by just not sounding like everyone else who's going to be using this to create content. As far as change makers and thought leaders, it's not going to be that helpful because your ideas are new. And all of the information that AI is being trained on is like at least a year or two old. So you're not going to be able to be a quote unquote thought leader by taking AI content. Like that's actually just completely the opposite of what it does. So it's not that useful from that stance. It could be useful as far as research. Like if you're doing research and you ask AI for that, you still need to be discerning as far as the bias and like how legit the information is, but it could help you like plan out an outline for a post or a sales page even. But that's pretty much as far as it goes. I don't think it's 
going to be as amazing as everybody thinks it is, especially because the whole world is using it. I see how it saves people time, but this is where we're getting away from being human in our businesses to a point where like, it's, it's not going to be beneficial for business if we're all using the same machine <laughs> to write our content. I'm not worried about it personally. Like my people in my family are like, oh, Natalia, have you heard about AI? Is your job going to be okay? <laughs> And I'm not worried about it at all from that stance. Yeah. And I just think it's a really great opportunity for us to step into like being more human and more ourselves. And I don't use it <laughs> also. Yeah. So, I mean, I think our whole conversation has been about how to market without losing your soul. Yeah. And I think the whole thing with AI is it has no soul. So, yeah. you know, we're marketing <laughs> with our souls. And totally. yeah, I think that's what's going to set us apart. That's such a great question. Yeah, I'm so glad you that. asked that because it's very on topic with the whole theme of everything we're talking about. Yeah. I think that most people I work with feel that way about it. So it isn't as in my face as people would think. But yeah, that's that's my general feeling on it. Yes, I feel very similarly. People have also asked me like, oh, mm -hmm. like you can, like nothing left to do now. You just push yeah. a button. I'm like, that's not how this works. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We still have to do business with people, right? So yeah. I think that's always going to be at the end of the day, the most important part. Yeah. So Natalia, you have shared so much incredible wisdom and I would love to just give you a chance to talk more about the work you do, your program, you know, mm -hmm. how people can find out more about you and working with you. I really appreciate that. I have a program called Get Embodied and it's to help change makers market themselves. And it's an eight week long course it's a cohort right now. It isn't in session, but there will be one coming up soon. If you go to my LinkedIn profile, that's probably the best way to find me. And that link is in my profile to the program. So yeah, just look up my name, Natalia Sanyal, and we can connect there. Yes. And that's how we connected. And then that's yeah. why I decided to hire you after yeah, seeing yeah, all your right. posts. So I definitely feel yeah. like all of the things that you do are working and you don't Yay. definitely know what you're talking about. So, oh, so thank glad. you for sharing your wisdom with everyone Thanks today. <laughs> Want to keep growing your business on your terms? Then sign up for my free newsletter, The Momentum Memo. You'll get quick, actionable tips to gain momentum in your business every Tuesday. Head over to natalielussier.com forward slash memo to join over 6,000 other entrepreneurs scaling on their terms. Whether you're just getting started or have been running your business for a while, the Momentum Memo has something for you. 